This is Framework Leadership. Hi, I'm Ken Engel, and you're listening to Framework Leadership, a podcast about how to bring your personal life and organization to the next level. Today, I have the privilege of sitting down with Mo Isom. Mo was an All-American goalkeeper for the LSU women's soccer team and the first female to train with and actually try out for an SEC men's football team. And today she is a New York Times best-selling author and a nationally sought-after speaker. It's my pleasure to welcome Mo Isom to the Framework Leadership Podcast. Welcome. Thank you. This is a treat. This is this is my honor just to even join you all. All right. Well, I want to, man, there's so much I'd love to talk to you about today, but let's start with kind of your early life. You know, where did you grow up? What was family like? Sure. Yeah. I grew up in Atlanta, just right outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Um with wonderful Christian parents. I mean, parents who were rooted in the church, who who worked really hard to instill in me what it meant to be a godly woman. But I was also young and stubborn and a performer and a perfectionist and an athlete. Um, so my faith walk early was um, just kind of like comfortable and cultural, if, if that makes sense. I, I was in church on Sunday and, you know, FCA on Friday, but I was really the athlete. That's where I kind of rooted my identity. I was a soccer player. My parents like lived vicariously through it that we were the soccer family um, and came up playing playing youth soccer, made it through um, some different levels of the Olympic development program and traveled the world really at a very young age competing and um, playing soccer and, and loved it. Well, wh- when did you discover that that was it, soccer? You That was kind of a gift that, you know, God had kind of put in your life. When did you discover that? How early was that? You know, I dabbled in all the sports like young kids do at the get, from the get-go. Um, but always loved soccer. And then in seventh grade, I grew seven inches in one year. And I realized, you know what? I'm just kind of built to be a goalkeeper. (laughs) (laughs) And I liked the pressure of being a goalkeeper. I loved kind of the win or loss riding on my shoulders and um, just had a natural, a natural gifting towards that um, at a really young age. So I, I sort of set aside all other sports and put all my focuses towards soccer and loved it. And where did you get the drive? Because you can tell you have a a tremendous drive to be the very best at soccer. Yeah. Um, You know, where did that come from? You know, I've had to channel my drive because it is inherent in me. I'm just a type A, you know, perfectionist performer. If I'm going to do something, I want to do it 150% and I'm going to be the best at it. I'm just competitive naturally. Um, which can be a great trait to have sure. if it's channeled properly, but right. it can also kind of own your life if not. Um, and I don't know, it was always, it was always in me from a young age, just that competitive drive. I also really desired to make my dad really proud. Mm. And he was, um, you know, a former athlete. He was big on the sports side of things. So, uh, I, I, I loved it. I loved winning a game and being like daddy's best girl on the front seat of the car <laughs> headed home. Sure. Um, but there was sort of the, the flip side too of losing a game and it kind of crushing my identity and my worth. And, um, you know, it's a lot for a young competitive individual to kind of navigate. My mom used to say I was just born strong willed and their greatest challenge as parents was learning how to bend that will without breaking it. So like cultivating the competitive nature in me, but not letting it lord me, you know, but also right, not right. breaking it in me. Right. So I was probably a very hard child to raise. <laughs> I'll admit that. <laughs> now you hold the uh, the LSU all-time school record in women's soccer with, yeah. what is it, 35 victories, 20, 25 shutouts, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Talk, talk about the training and self-discipline and, I mean, how did that affect the way you did life every day? Yeah, you know, I was... 
um, what was probably somewhat of a unique breed where when I got the college scholarship, because I had promised my parents at nine years old, which I don't even know what a scholarship was, but our neighbor got a scholarship and I learned kind of the gist of it. And I told them at nine, if you guys will support me through youth soccer, I will get a full college scholarship. This is how driven I was as a child. <laughs> um, and when I did, when I um, set off to go play at LSU, Louisiana State University, I really took it on as a full-time job. I wasn't trying to have the normal college experience. Mm. I wasn't missing what I didn't have access to. I was there to, yes, be a student, but also at that time, my mindset was really on being an athlete and, and performing for the school. I remember coming into the program and the coach had kind of presented this interesting option, even in the recruiting process, because LSU wasn't a national powerhouse at the time. And I was being recruited by national powerhouse schools, but he really put on the table. Do you want to be, you know, an average size fish in a big pond and mm. step into a really established program and be another name on the roster? Or do you want to be a big fish in a small pond and help build a legacy here and help build something? And I loved the challenge. He didn't even know how much he was speaking my language of, do you want to help build something and really contribute? And so um, I took it on as my job, my duty, and we did it. We, we did it. We built a program while we were there. And I worked, I was that athlete who was like in the weight room in the indoor facility at all hours of the day, way more than what was even asked of us. And, um, I just, I, I put it on my shoulders. I wanted mm. to help carry the team to new levels and, and we did. Wow. And, and that's for sure. I mean, you have incredible soccer records and accomplishments, but but you may be best known for trying out as a place kicker for yes. uh, LSU football team. <laughs> Talk about your decision to try out and you know why you did that. Yeah, the fun part was, like I said, I was the one who was always in the weight room, always in the indoor field, always doing extra. And the soccer team and the football team worked out in the same facility. So it was four years of being alongside these guys, training, knowing the coaches, knowing the staff, the, the strength and conditioning coaches. So when I realized prior to my senior soccer season that every NCAA athlete actually gets five years of eligibility, mm. only four in one sport. So it takes into account if you have to redshirt sure. um, or whatever it may be, you have a five-year clock. Well, I realized I was going to finish playing my four seasons in four years and that there was an opportunity for an additional year of competing. Um, I just didn't know how or in what right, way. Right. And it just struck me one day in my apartment like, kicked around with the guys, with the football guys. I mean, I can kick a pigskin and, you know, what if I tried this? What if I did this? What would it even look like? I was certain I would hit just closed door after closed door, but I just worked up the guts to call um, first my mom. And she was like, you're psycho. And when you get pancaked <laughs> yeah. by a 350 pound man, you'll understand. And I was like, you know, I don't know. I think I could do it. And I called the team, uh, some of the guys on the team and shockingly, they were all for it. I'd kicked around with them. They knew my leg strength. I mean, my second game ever as a freshman with soccer, I had scored a 90-yard goal in soccer. So I had the leg strength. That's what I was recruited for. But they were all for it. So I'm like, just kind of going through the ranks. I approached the strength and conditioning coaches first. Just, Lord, if it's a no, let it be a closed <laughs> door. And it was a yes. And they were cheering it on. And I just kind of worked up my, through the ranks, asking permission to do this. I mean, sure. I was going to have to train about 20 months before I could even try out while I was playing my senior soccer season. Um, but I remember one day being on the elliptical and um, coach Les Miles just hopped on the one next to me and it was like 
finally the time of like, let's see if what the head coach has to say and <laughs> presented it to him. And he had daughters who were athletes as well. And he made it very clear that there would be no special permissions or, sure. you know, lenience for me because I was a female. But if I could offer something to the team, if I could offer like a weapon yeah. for the team, that he'd be more than happy for me to, to, to pursue that. So wow. went about it. I could kick a 53 yard field goal. Um, I could, I could kick off well. Uh, unfortunately, when I started the journey, there were two specialists and one was about to graduate. And about 20 months later, because of walk-ons and transfers and sure. new guys, there were eight specialists. Uh, and, you know, I could hit a 53-yard field goal, but so could the starter. So it was a no in the end, which was really hard because I had, I had basically been on the team for a year and a half without my name on the roster and had really worked hard. Um, but you know, I just learned that no is a, is a word of direction, not, not just dismissal. So yeah, we took it. Good. I grieved for a while. Sure. I was tired. <laughs> I yeah. was like, we just worked hard at that yeah. for and, a minute. And, and if I'm corrected, uh, Ellen had you on her television show. Yeah. Was, was brought onto the Ellen DeGeneres show, which was so neat. And I wish I could rewind time and have savored that because at the time I, this is how competitive athlete minded I was. I was like, you know, I guess this is fine. I can do it. I'll fly out to LA. Sure. But this is taking time away from training. Sure. So if we could just get it going, like, <laughs> what was I thinking? I should have savored every second. But I really was like, I didn't want people to think what I was doing was a publicity stunt. Right. I was already kind of fighting against the grain of outside opinions sure. of a woman wanting to do this. They didn't know the dynamic of you know, four years of knowing these players and coaches. They just thought I was a girl trying to do a guy's thing. So I was already kind of fighting against that grain. And so I was a little nervous. People would think it was like a publicity stunt. But ultimately, I said yes and loved that. It was so fun and so scary and uh, <laughs> came home and got back training. So it was a neat good. opportunity. When you look at that overall experience, what do you think is the greatest lesson from that experience in your life? Oh, man. The first thing that comes to my mind is learning truly how to carry myself as a woman of God. Hmm. amongst brothers, right. you know, it, it was, I had come to know Jesus just in my sophomore year of college. And prior to that, um, had struggled in a lot of different ways, especially just in, you know, all walks of femininity and what it meant and how to appropriately carry myself. And so day in and day out, allowing God to transform my heart, becoming really intentional in the words I spoke and the clothes I wore and the things I said, I mean, this sounds so small, but even down to where I was going to stretch in the weight room to mm. warm up and making sure I was just out of sight of different sure. um, things. I never wanted to be a distraction in that environment. Um, and I never wanted, I, I never wanted anything to be compromised when it just came to athletes pushing themselves as far as they could to do the best that they could. So it was really a beautiful season of learning intentionality in every word I spoke in every action, even in the jokes I, you know, made right. or listened to. And it was a neat, neat learning curve. Because when you're with 98 guys, you know, in a locker room, I mean, I wasn't in their locker room, but in the training room, in the weight room, it's like, um, it's unique to carry yourself in there and them not see you as so different. Yeah, an incredible experience. And I, I want to talk about some other experiences that you've had in your life. I mean, you're relatively open about the personal tragedy in your life, including yeah. battling a, a, an eating disorder, overcoming the suicide of your father, um, yeah. struggling with promiscuity and 
and then surviving uh, really what was a horrific uh, car accident. Yeah. Can you talk about these tragedies and, and what, you know, when did they happen? What was going on in your life at that time? Oh, goodness. Um, well, first off, I was an expert. Uh, I could have won an Academy Award for the masks I wore. I was wow. an expert at faking fine mm. on the outside. And so many of us are. We put the face on to carry ourselves out in the world. But I was, I was going through the ringer behind closed doors. I mean, through high school, struggling with identity issues and eating disorder and, um, you know, relational tensions at home and just really trying to be the God of my own story and just prideful. And like we said, that type A, but dependent on the affirmation of my dad. I mean, just a mess of issues, but I was really great at, uh, at faking fine on the mm. surface. I was like a driven, focused, successful young athlete. Then into college, you know, after my freshman year behind closed doors, my dad put a gun to his heart and pulled the trigger. And suddenly I'm on this national stage as a collegiate athlete and I'm wrestling with depression, anxiety, abandonment. I mean, the deepest kind of heart wounds, fatherlessness brings on. And yet I was pushing through and the strong athlete recovering from trauma. But really, I was in a great state of warfare hmm. behind closed doors um, and just running from God in all honesty. I knew a lot about God. I was raised up in the church. But like I said, I was young and stubborn and never yet walking with God, knew a lot about him, didn't know him. And so these behind the scenes tragedies and then depression, anxiety, acting out, promiscuity, alcohol, partying, all these things look kind of normal on the college surface, but I was really in a really dark place. Um, but you know, it's so amazing because you mentioned the car accident too. And I think people hear the story and they're like another piece of adversity but it was the car accident where I was at such a place of brokenness. I understood when my dad did what he did, and I saw it as a viable option for my mm. own life. I was actually certain that if my dad had had the capacity to kill himself, then I was most likely going to also. Mm. It's a very strange place sure, to be wow. when you're that weighed down. But the cry of my heart was, God, if you're so real, do something. Reveal yourself to me, or just end it. Just end everything for me, because I'm really tired of this suffering. And that had been the cry of my heart through that year, and it was headed home from Baton Rouge to Atlanta. Um, that God, it, those are dangerous prayers to pray. Right. If we wow. say, God, just wreck my life, just do something, he will wreck our lives to save our lives and to save our eternal stories. And a lot of the time, that it, it doesn't have to look like a flipping your Jeep three times and landing in a ravine on the side of the interstate. All it takes from the king of all kings is a whisper. But sometimes in our life, it's, it's in the interrupting tragedies that God is actually trying to interrupt the trajectory of our story to say, be still and know that I am God. I see you. I know you. I love you. I have plans for you. I always think of John 16, in this world, you will face trouble, but take heart and have courage because I have overcome the world. And it was hanging upside down after wrecking my Jeep. Um, in a single car accident, I mean, still to this day, I don't know how I ended up in that center median and then off in that ravine, but I was hanging upside down in the Jeep when the, the presence of the spirit of God just entered in and the weight was as crushing as it was like soul resuscitating. I just, it was a whisper from God and it was like the depths of the gospel were just downloaded into my heart. 
And it just, it transformed me completely. It completely interrupted my life. And I learned moving out of that, having then encountered the grace and the mercy of Jesus, that I didn't need to wear masks, that actually scripture says we can boast in our weakness so that we can point to the glory of the cross. See, I'd lived my whole life boasting in my successes. I was the performer, the athlete, and so many of us do. We lead with our highs. But more of us are actually connected in our depths and our lows and our sin struggles and our pain. And yet we're in a fake it till you make it culture that doesn't, that says, just keep all that under the rug. But I really found an unbelievable, truly Holy Spirit breathed boldness coming out of that, of knowing that I was redeemed and knowing that, that I could stand on the bondage that once owned me and it become like the footstool beneath me to proclaim the goodness and the glory of God. And so my life became much more of an authentic walk of, yeah, still some great highs, um, but, but also great lows that I'm not going to hide from anybody any longer because there's a lot of people who know these lows intimately as well. Oh, that's so good. Your first book, Wrecked My Life, Journeying from Broken to Bold, is about this time in your life. Did you, yeah. did you have any hesitation about bringing your private struggles into a very public setting? You know, not once the book came around, because back after my car accident, one of the very first things God challenged me to do was begin to share my testimony. And this was before, I didn't know anything about speaking. I didn't know anything about crafting a story, crafting a testimony. I think that's daunting to a lot of us. We know the interruption of our life and the transformation, but it's like, where do I start? How do I say it? What do I even say? And he began to challenge me to share it. And there were a lot of people in our lives at home who still had a lot of questions around my dad's suicide, around a lot that had been going on with our family. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll write it. I'll start this little rudimentary blog and I will just share my story in 19, like I think I did 19 posts, just 19 days in a row, thinking maybe some friends and family would read it. And I would learn how to kind of craft together my testimony. And I think by the end of the last post, there were almost 250,000 views, of people who had followed this story. And as the, for the first time, finding the courage to do what scripture said, to boast in our weaknesses, to point to the glory of the cross, to share in suffering. It was like to that immediate feedback was just a constant emboldening of, man, I just shared all of this and I'm not destroyed. In fact, I'm standing here even stronger mm-hmm. And I see community growing as a result of people needing to know this very same hope and truth that I've kind of intersected. And so, um, you know, the book came a few years after that. And at that point, I had shared my testimony so many times. It was like a great delight to get pen to paper Mm. and have it out there forever. You know, anyone could pick it up at any time and read it. And um, I don't know, God's so faithful. He won't let us be destroyed. He won't let the things the enemy is intended for our harm to prosper. He uses what's intended for our harm for good. He uses all for his glory. And I think sometimes we just have to learn that by flexing that muscle and trusting it and stepping into the faith of sharing the hard stuff and seeing, will this take me out or will I still stand? Yeah. And, And what would you, I mean, that's some incredible advice there, but but what, what else would you tell someone right now who, who is listening at this very moment, who finds themselves stuck in a tragedy? What, what would be the first two, three things they need to do right now? Oh, man, great question. The scripture that comes to my mind that really 
I really sat with in the midst of my tragedy was kind of a radical piece of scripture. It's not one I think we think to come around in our pain or our suffering, but Romans 5, 3 through 5 invites us to rejoice in our adversity Hmm. because adversity produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope in the Holy Spirit never fails us. And this was a very radical thought to me in processing grief and pain and hurt that scripture would say rejoice. I'm like, God, are you asking us to be sociopaths? That doesn't seem normal. And that's not the case at all. I believe Jesus wept. God grieves with us. He knows our pain and our agony. But at the end of the day, it's like the psalmist David. If you read through the Psalms, he's lamenting. He's grieving. He's crying out to God. He's frustrated. He's feeling the fullness of the human condition. But what is unique about the Psalms is that every one of them ends in praise. Mm. And so there's this beautiful invitation I think we have, even it's standing in the midst of our storms. We may feel like we are under the wave of a tsunami, but that we can end in praise. God can handle our lamenting, our grieving, our frustration, our anguish. Oh, but that our hearts would end in truth of, of he is faithful and he is good and he is mighty to save. And I don't understand the fullness of it, but he is holy and he sees the full picture. And so even if I feel like I am forcing these words out of my mouth, at the end of the day, I will rejoice that he is doing a good work Mm. in this and he will bring his good work to completion. And so it was like this real challenge for my heart of what does that even look like and how do I even do that? Um, But I think in the throes of the storms, if we can somehow find our hands in an open position and our eyes set up um, on a God who really is good and has our best in mind, uh, then we'll, we'll find that our perspective shifts. Yeah, that's so good. Your latest book is entitled Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations of the Church for God. Powerful truth in that title. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Didn't what, need a subtitle on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Said enough. What's, what's the book about? Why did you write it? Oh, that's such a great question. When I was writing Wreck My Life, um, I realized there was a very big thread of narrative through my story that was around all things sexual. And I didn't want to cheapen it or sell it short by squeezing it into one chapter. I always knew when I was writing out my story that this needed to be its own conversation. It was a full conversation to be had. I mean, the sexual topic by and large is a big conversation that we've missed or we've avoided or we've had incorrectly for a really long time. And so I knew it would always be its own book. And it was actually, I was standing in my kitchen one morning when I was still writing Wreck My Life, that God just like, it was one of the most tangible download moments of he gave me the title and he began to just every element that he wanted spoken into and, and revived with the truth of the word of God around it. And so I'm like taking furious notes on like a scrap sheet in my kitchen. And I would say, going back to a question you asked before, this was the topic that was harder for me to say, oh my gosh, okay, how do I give voice to this? How do I package this so that it's not gratuitous? Because I don't want to lead people's minds the exact opposite place I'm trying to steer our hearts, you know? And how do I share this and speak really raw, bold truth with authority around the word of God, um, but also leave room for the Holy Spirit to minister to every unique narrative? Um, and so it, 
it took a while to work up the courage. And there were plenty of times I turned to my husband and I'm like, gosh, there's even a, a chapter in there about um, adultery uh, before I was married, but being involved with a married man in college and not even realizing it. And I remember sitting in our den when I was writing that, like, nobody knows this except you, Jeremiah, and like one friend. Mm. And God is saying, I have to share it with who knows how many thousand. Like, what? where do we even find these words? But God was just so faithful chapter by chapter to root me in the truth of his word, even to bring to mind scriptures and to draw me to places in the word where the narrative is so clear. And ultimately to just wash over that whole project, the truth at the end of the day, God cares deeply about the condition of our hearts. And that's what I hope the book arcs to big picture that we would see it as heart surgery as an encounter with the Jesus who encounters the woman at the well and offers her redemption, you know, who encounters the adulteress to be stoned, that we would see that God has a lot to say about sex. He's the inventor of sex, that the enemy has taken it, twisted it, stolen it, cheapened it, but that God is also the restorer of all things sexual. And he was in my story. And um, I could go on for hours about that book. I'm so passionate about that topic um, because I, I just feel like to talk more about sex is to look more like the one who created it because mm. God has a lot to say about sex and a lot that arcs into our identity and into our value, into the beauty of his instruction, into why it matters to be obedient to it, but also into his great narrative of redemption. When we miss the mark or we fall short or we've lived a different way for a long time. Um, so it was scary at first, but found courage in writing those words and then have literally seen revival in releasing wow. them really special. Your story has been an inspiration for so many people, uh, but especially uh, young women. What advice would you give about pursuing dreams and trying to accomplish really seemingly impossible goals? Oh, goodness. I'm like, if that's for you, who can be against you? It's the cheesiest you know, thing that could come to my mind. But you know, I kind of look at the narrative arc over women through the course of history and where we are right now. And when I look at the word of God, I see that man and woman were made in his image, the pinnacle of his creation, unique and different to co-labor together, not one greater than another. We sort of see this movement right now, I feel like culturally of like, break down the walls and we can do everything that man can do and rise up women, but it's at the belittlement of men. And I'm like, this isn't the way of God. The way of God is that we are, he's always said we are uniquely gifted and he's put unique visions and purpose and power into each of our lives. And we're to champion one another on. And so I'm just really excited. I feel like there's a fresh move of the Holy Spirit happening right now. Whereas for a long time, women haven't fully understood or felt the permission to move in the power of the dreams they feel on their heart or the gifts they have or the talents or the goals. But we're coming into a really unique time where, I mean, I see in, in scripture, it talks about in the end, I will pour out my spirit. My sons and daughters will prophesy. All men will dream dreams. And I'm so excited seeing and hopefully being a voice cheering on women that we are gifted. For a long time, 50% of the body of Christ has stayed rather muted. And I think that's been a great victory for the enemy. But I want to see 
us championing women up to knowing their gifts and talents and purpose knit into our stories, that there may be seemingly impossible, unattainable goals, but that God is with us. He is for us. He is strengthening us and empowering us that we can co-labor with our brothers in Christ, that it is a body of Christ working to achieve what may seem impossible in different regards. And I just love seeing seeing women within the church and, and obviously in the world kind of grabbing hold of that and believing for that and kind of breaking through, I guess, stereotypes or limitations and really believing that I'm, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And God does have plans and purpose for my life. And um, what does that look like in the season that I'm in? And what does that look like when something looks impossible? And man, what does that look like if I take a really big leap of faith towards the impossible? Um, and, and will he fail me or will he be steadfast and unfailing? So it's a neat time as a, as a woman, I believe. Thank you, man. This has been a powerful conversation. And I, I so appreciate uh, your authenticity and, and your, your, you know, your transparent and you're vulnerable in, in mm -hmm. sharing how God has touched your life. And so many people right now are going through a lot of struggles like you experienced. Mm -hmm. And your voice is having a tremendous transformational impact and so grateful yes. for what what you're doing. Um, well, we like to close our, our podcast out with a quick lightning oh, no. round. So <laughs> I'm going to ask you about four questions here and, and whatever comes to the your mind, uh, let us know. But okay. uh, first one is, what's the last great book you've read or a podcast that you've heard that has, has kind of encouraged you or, or, or inspired you or something that's impacted you lately? Yes. Great question. Okay. So it's a podcast. I just got the chance to listen to, and mind you, I'm a mother of two with another on the way. So my free time to listen to podcasts are minimal. <laughs> I'm sure there's very, uh, an incredible number of wonderful podcasts, but, um, Annie Downs, a friend of mine has a podcast called that's called that sounds fun. And she just recently interviewed, um, my pastor's wife, Shelly Giglio. Okay. And so I'm sitting here thinking, okay, two friends, you know, can't wait to hear what they have to say. And it was actually a power packed profession like profound 45 minute, you know, 30 minute podcast that I was like, man, Shelly Giglio is full of so much wisdom. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh, it'll be great to listen to him. I don't know if I'll learn all that much that's new. And I felt like at the end, I was like, everything they said, I never <laughs> knew. It's so good. So I encourage people to listen to That Sounds Fun. What's by the name Annie. of it again? That What's Sounds that? Fun. That Sounds Fun. Okay. Yeah. Annie Downs is the host and Shelly Giglio is the guest and it's really good. Okay. Question two. Oh, you uh, have a day when your calendar's cleared. You've been mandated to have a perfect day off. What does a perfect day off look like for you? Oh, first off, I would just sleep. I would sleep so long. <laughs> my birthday is in a few days and my husband has been asking me over and over, what do you want? And I was like, babe. I want a whole night's sleep because <laughs> I have a two-year-old and a one-year-old. And so we're up, you know, at all hours of the night. Um, I would sleep in. I would just sleep in so long. And then um, this current fall weather, at least in Georgia, actually inspires me. It would just be a day with my family outside, whether it's hiking or at the park or I would also like inject into this perfect day that my children were on perfect behavior, that we had no <laughs> emotional roller coaster tantrums of a two year old. Um, but just a day with my family, you know, that I love what I get to do, but it does keep me at times um, 
just going, you know, and, and on the road. And um, while my family gets to travel with me a lot, there's also just a lot of hard times where you don't want to leave the house. And, you know, I want, uh, it's the conflict. I want to, but I don't want to. So every day, a perfect day is time with my, with my husband and with my girls. All right. Question three. Okay. What, what historical leader living or dead Ooh. would you most like to have a cup of coffee with? Oh, goodness. That's a really hard one. Would it be so taboo if I said Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> I can't answer that. Um, that's a tough one. You know, I will go the biblical route. I would probably say, um, I would honestly just probably say Paul. I know that probably sounds like a lot of people would answer that. I feel like he was a historical contributor. Sure, he was a historical leader. And I often look at the model of what the disciples were doing, willing to take it to the cross to declare this message they knew is truth. And just the magnitude of what Paul persevered through and the faith by which he did it. I would love, I don't know if Paul drank coffee, but if he <laughs> would have a cup with me, I just think it would be amazing to, to pick his mind. I mean, we just live in such a different world now right, you know right. i imagine the disciples minds would be blown by airplanes by the means right. of you know mass communicating to to learn what it would have been like to 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 start the fire that has now spread for thousands of years worldwide but just by the word of mouth by hand to paper written letter by hopes that this gets there and this happens you know here and Oh, it's a different world and it's a different type of faith. I'm when, hungry for it. And when you think about it, you're going to have a chance to have that conversation someday. I know. That's what's Isn't that exciting. amazing? Yeah. If I can get on the schedule with him in heaven, that will be amazing. Because <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people want to pick his brain. <laughs> uh, final question. What's your next big dream that you'd like to accomplish? Oh, wow. These are great questions. Um, so this is going to sound silly, I'm sure. Um, you know, we're, I'm about to have three books out by 30 and three children by 30. I feel like so many of my hopes and dreams, we've just consumed life through a fire hose. And yeah. so I don't have much right in front of me that's like, I have got to accomplish that. I'm really learning in the day in and the day out of being really present for the people around me. And my biggest dream is that... Um, this will sound so silly. Any moms listening will understand. My biggest dream is that I would love to see a season of life where um, we're able to find creative and unique ways to do what it is I do, to share gospel, to share the truth, um, but from where we are, that it would permeate out and I, I wouldn't have to travel quite as much. I'm like, I really love motherhood and I really love being a wife. And um, I really want to learn the power of being really present with the people around us. What does it mean to really love your neighbor? We don't even know our neighbors <laughs> right now, like our right. actual neighbors in our neighborhood. I'm like, what would it look like to see a shift in that where we're really present and we meet the needs of those around us? And I just want to grow in that as like a human being and as a woman and as a mother. And so I think my biggest dream coming up um, obviously would be to impact the world and, you know, save souls for the kingdom and share truth, but um, also to learn how to love and impact the people right in front of me really well. So I don't know what that looks like yeah. dream-wise, but I guess that's just what's on my heart lately. Good deal. 
Mo Isom, thanks for joining us, Framework Leadership today. It's been great yeah. to have you as a guest. You can learn more about Mo at her website, moisom.com. 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 Yep. Yeah. Her books, Wreck My Life, Journeying from Broken to Bold, Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations of the Church Forgot. They're uh, available everywhere books are sold. So make sure you uh, get a copy. Thank All you. right, thanks. Thanks, my pleasure. It's no secret that an unhealthy culture will hold you back while a healthy one will propel you forward. You know, the people who achieve the most, the teams who win the most, the organizations that make the most significant impact almost always have one thing in common, a healthy culture. But it's easier said than done. You know, here's some keys to, I think, building, at least from my own experience, a healthy culture. First of all, I think it involves active listening. You know, this demonstrates how much you value people. People don't care what you can do for them until they know you appreciate what you know, they can do for you. I think another thing is honest conversation. When you engage in active dialogue with people, you learn more about them than you could ever through any self-assessment or a diagnostic process. And I think you'll also gain the opportunity to win their trust, which is a game changer. And I think another thing that uh, I've experienced is to always have that consistent follow through. I think this aligns your words, your actions. Trust is just the beginning. If you follow through on what you said you were going to do consistently, you'll gain integrity, which will inspire others to do the same. But what if your culture isn't winning right now? And that's fair, and you're not alone. Every person in every organization is on a journey towards health. It just depends on you know if you're moving forward, sideways or backward. No matter where you are in your journey, you can and should invest in building a winning culture. If you know your culture needs a turnaround, make, make some key moves immediately. I think acknowledge the gap. It's so much easier to deal with reality once it's spoken. Until then, it's just kind of speculation and intuition. I think you have to commit to a framing process. Invite people to journey with you. If they get a sense of ownership, they'll become part of the solution. And always start at the top. So many times the changes are focused on the lowest common denominator, but I think if you want to change the culture, it starts with the leader and team at the top. Every leader has the responsibility to create a winning culture. It's the most important investment of time, energy, and effort that you'll ever make. No matter what happens in the economy, your marketplace, or even in your community, without a winning culture, you'll never realize your full potential. I'm Kent Engel, and thanks for listening to Framework Leadership Podcast. To connect with Kent, visit kentingle.com. Also make sure to follow him on Twitter at kentingle and on Facebook at kent.ingle. Thanks for listening to Framework Leadership.